This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See mcdonalds.com. Leicester City have a penalty kick in the sixth minute of injury time. Injury time. Injury time. Look out, takes. Almunia saves. Look out, follows in. Almunia saves again. And now Wapner on the counter attack. Forestieri. Oh, I don't believe this. Here's Hawk. Dini. I do not believe what I've just seen. Troy Dini has scored from a Leicester penalty that was saved by Almunia. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. Hello, welcome to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. I'm Justin. I'm Carl. And I'm Peter. And joining us this time round, Watford Observer, journalist Andrew French. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm very good, chaps. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, well, it's, it's lovely to have you back on, sir. Yao Pedro got the player of the season, but we know who should really hold the trophy here. The Watford Observer has had a fine tradition of being the conduit for the fans to the football club. And until this season, I'm sorry, it hadn't been able to get up to the now dearly departed Ollie Phillips. There's no greater tribute in the year that we lost him to say that you have brought it back up to those, those heady heights in terms of giving people content giving people insight. So thank you and thank you for being here. Let's start with the most recent highlight because you, like me, were at Stadium MK. The women have become a bit of a beacon, really, in terms of how things have gone. How have you picked it up? Because you know, the articles in the in the Observer have been superb and they've really grown a level of interest, I think, and helped build that le- level of interest, which saw us actually kind of surpass the Nottingham Forest uh, contingent at the final. What, what, what's been your take on the on the women's season? Well, let, let me say first of all that I think any team wearing a Watford kit that wins should be celebrated. It, you know, it doesn't make any difference to me whether they're men, women, under sixes. You know, it, it's a Watford team. And if you support Watford, you support Watford Football Club, not just Watford first team. I actually felt a bit of a fraud in the last couple of weeks because I hadn't been to anywhere near as many of the women's games as I'd like to. But the two reasons are simply, number one, Sunday is about the only day I don't work. And number two, my own son, up until three weeks ago, was playing under-18s football on Sunday. So it meant it was pretty difficult. I was watching from afar and, you know, I was really hoping that they would win the league. And so I went to the game at Vicarage Road against Oxford, really enjoyed that. Took my son along as well. And, and, you know, we were both really, really impressed by the standard of the football. Um, That's the first thing. You know, I think sometimes people believe these um, ridiculous suggestions that women's football has not moved forward. You've only got to watch the England national team or the Women's Super League to understand understand that. It will be slightly lower standard as you go down the leagues, but then I would say anyone who compared a League One game in 
the Football League to, you know, a Man City match would probably find a massive gap in class there. Once I got involved in it, I, I found it a really, really pleasant experience for a lot of reasons. Number one, the football was good. Number two, the atmosphere at the games was very different. Home games this season, it, it's it's always been sort of on a simmering point of frustration and anger. And, and, and at times it, it, it sort of boiled over a little bit. So it was nice to go to games where there wasn't that undercurrent of negativity. And then also the people involved are, they're, they're just different to other football people that I, I, I've engaged with. You know, there's there's certainly less ego, there's less presumptuousness. They're just sort of everyday people who, you know, happen to play football for Watford and happen to coach the team. And, you know, and some of them, you know, the likes of Helen Ward and Gemma Davison, they've played at the very top mm. level, but you wouldn't know it. You know, they're very humble and there's, there's no suggestion that they're doing you a favour by sort of standing in the same space as you. And I, I found it really, really refreshing just to talk to people who, who are playing football for the love of the game. At that level, they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because they want to be successful and they want Watford to do well. And I really enjoyed getting to know some of the players. I, I found Saturday a great experience. You know, it's not many times this season of, well, I'd like to have been able to jump out my chair a bit more this season. But, you know, when the first goal went in, I was out of the chair. I made a real fool of myself for the second one, the Ellie head goal that was disallowed because I was still <laughs> whooping out. Because Well, the guy, in the guy in the stadium, he was still playing the goal music and I'm still going along with it. And it's only when I realised they'd taken a free kick, it, it sunk in, it wasn't 2-0. But everything about it, you know, the, the way the players react to the fans, the way that, you know, the players will stay for ages, signing autographs, taking pictures, you know, passing the trophy around in the in the crowd after the game. It was just a lovely, lovely experience just to be there and see people doing something successfully for wholesome and altruistic reasons, rather than because they get paid a lot of money for it or for the glory. I would urge everybody next season to try and get along and watch a game and, you know, just follow the fortunes of the team because it's going to be tough next season. It's a big step up, yeah. but they've earned the right to be there they've got all the foundations in place they've got some very very good young players and you know go back to what I said at the start it's a Watford team I've supported Watford Internet FC before now because they played in Watford kits I've gone along and watched you know I really don't mind you know Watford's my town Watford's my club I will always support anything you know Watford I mean it really doesn't matter so you know I'd urge people to go along next season and get behind them because the more people do that the more of an attendance we get the more games that can be played at Vicarage Road and the more successful we can be. When I spoke to Helen Ward a few weeks ago, you know, she said, if you think back to the 1950s, there wasn't even allowed to be football for yep. women. And it's only really been in the last... I don't know, 10 to 15 years, it's really started taking off. Now, the men's game's got about 100 years head start. So when people say, well, you can't fill a stadium, well, they are for the big games and they probably will for regular league games. But, the, you know, the men have had a 100-year head start. So you have to put everything into a little bit of relativity and say, well, you know, if in 100 years' time the women's game isn't as big as the men's game is now, then they haven't caught up. But they've got some ground to make up, but they're getting there. And just raising the awareness of the team, the number of people who messaged or, or were on the, on the, on the blog who, you know, heard we've got a women's team but weren't aware of it and, and you know, tuned in to watch it on the BBC website. That's all a good thing. You know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. You've never heard of the team before, but you enjoyed it. There's no shame in going back a second time and enjoying some more. Everybody has to find new things in life. And if Watford women's team is something new, but you enjoy it, go back and enjoy some more of it because that's the only way they're going to grow. In a nutshell, I think it's been great. And um, there's some good people there. Dame, Damon is, is a really, really nice guy. And Laura, I've got to know well. And, you know, the two of them, they're, they're not doing doing it for the money they're doing it for the love 
And that that's what I think is most refreshing with the, with the women's setup is at a time when you know a, a lot of footballers are earning an absolute fortune uh, and possibly not earning it. And there's several of those you could say in in our club itself. It's lovely to see people who are doing it, training two nights a week on a Saturday, playing a game on a Sunday, working full time around that. So I, I, I take my hat off to the women. I don't know how they do it, but it's great they do. It's great they won. And I just hope more people can enjoy it next season. It wasn't the best organised major event I've ever been to. It sort of felt like, you know, they, they, they were hosting it under duress a little bit. And in terms of press, we were in the press box and the press box is in the opposite side of the ground to where the fans were. So we got an email, all of us media are attending, saying, uh, turn up to the hotel reception anytime you like after 11 and we'll let you into the press box. So I rocked up there about quarter past and there's about half a dozen others waiting. And this guy came down and said, um, yeah, press don't come in here. So we all got our emails out and said, yeah, we're this is where we were told, oh, right, OK. He said, I'll show you where you got to go in. So he walked us up a flight of stairs out into the stadium, stood in the press box and pointed over and said, see that turnstile over there? That's where you've got to come in from. And I said, but we're already inside the stadium. And he said, yeah, but what you need to do is come in through that turnstile and then go to the press box. I said, we're already in the press box. Why would I want to walk 50 yards <laughs> out to come there back in. to come back in again? He went, because that's where you've got to come in. That's, that's your way in. I said, but I'm in. I'm here with you now. All right, all right, but don't blame me if they throw you out. Last time I saw him. <laughs> that's that's a record with Stewart second only to your own there, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, Justin has been taken through the ground, let out, and then been told he can't come back in the ground because he's been through the ground before, even though he clearly could. Yeah, I want it. Yeah, so Premier League so. rules, apparently. Yeah, no, absolutely. The other thing I wanted to mention about the women's football, which is, and I've said it on, on a number of occasions, is obviously... The, the pace of the game is somewhat slower because from a physiological point of view, the passing tends to be shorter. So you actually get a, what I think is a nicer game. It's more technical build-up. But because of it kind of slows down in areas, when we, under Damon's kind of way, way plays, we've we've either had Gemma Davison or a, a, a Raya Dennis, as you'll know from, from, from Oxford, but more regularly we've had Bianca Baptiste, we've had Flo Fife until she got injured, now she's coming back. You've had um, Adi Vadugadada. The ability to get the ball out on the wing and the wing play was has genuinely been reminiscent of Watford under GT the excitement when you would go up on your you know on the edge of your your, your, your toes or on the edge of your seat when Barnsley or Cali got hold of the ball or you know Warrell Sterling or, or David Barnsley whoever did suddenly the the art of seeing wing play come back into the game has been an absolutely unbridled joy this season one, one thing I was going to say uh, along with that is that it's almost a complete opposite to, to the Watford of the 80s where Watford are the team who play the most football and they tend to come up against teams who just bang it long. I mean, certainly Oxford you know, every pass was a diagonal towards mm-hmm. a six foot striker because, as you know, as nature sort of dictates, there aren't too many six foot two women around. So if you've got one, uh, you put her up front and you bang the ball up to her. And that's what Forrest did on Saturday. And I've seen it in the two other games. And Watford haven't got that. And and I don't know if that's what they want because they, they do want to get the ball out wide and play it to feet and they play triangles. And, you know, when you look at the goals they score, they're generally not direct balls into the box. It's picking teams off. And I found that really refreshing. You know, it, it was lovely to watch a team who didn't have a giant forward. I mean, admittedly, we scored a goal from a header, but that was, Poppy Wilson is certainly not 
a target woman. No. No, she's, I mean, she's an amazing header. But it was just, it's refreshing to, to see a Watford team that is the antithesis of what everyone used to accuse us of being. You know, we're playing against Wimbledon of the 1980s every week, and yet we're playing like Liverpool of the 1980s. Admittedly, we're winning players, but there's no humping it long. There's no, you know, get no, just no. get it route one. I, I found the style of football, and I, I was confident on that pitch that that would come to the fore. And, and it's, it's certainly in the second half, Forrest sort of ran out of ideas. Once they, once they realised that hoofing it up to the big girl up front wasn't getting them anywhere. They didn't really have much else because on their bench, they just had more big girls to hoof it up to. And I never really felt threatened. I mean, it would have been nice if we got a second goal, but it wasn't like I felt we were holding on. I thought it was um, all relatively comfortable. I think I think also we we were fortunate enough to... Oh, I know the old ice cream man's going past. There you go. He's a regular <laughs> attendant on this particular podcast. There he goes. Goodbye, Mr. Whitley. He's um, always there. He, he does. He always goes by. God he knows we're that. recording, I think. Yeah. Having gone to the League Cup final up at Burton Albion, where the, the pitch was... Well, it wasn't up to the MK Don Stadium pitch standard you know it, it really wasn't you saw people like charlotte greengrass who is the proverbial kind of i think i described her as the love child of, of peter crouch and jill scott she is really a towers over over everybody else there but they played more direct but the pitch and the circumstances allowed it we then spoke to damon last week again in, the, in part of the build-up he was supremely confident in terms of you know no this pitch is going to help us this pitch is going to stick with us and they stuck with how they played and the commitment to playing football has been superb and of course they got to do a trophy lift at, at, at MK Dons the first thing they did once once they'd done all of the photographs which were all on the other side I presume your your press box was over your side I, I thought um, it was a really strange setup was let, let's present the trophy with our backs to the fans that that's that's what people want to see it, it, it was strange it was odd they also did the lineup thing when they come out and yeah, all kind of with, stand with up our and, backs to the fans yeah which is, which is sort of odd but hey, still at least go. at least someone from the FA in a blazer got to hand a trophy out and shake hands <laughs> and let's be honest that's what these big occasions are for it's not for the players it's not for the fans it's for a blazer wearing FA member to go and shake some hands and say and what do you do because that's generally what these occasions are for you know as, as a podcast uh, Andrew we, we've never said anything bad about the FA complete Anyway, um, so what we need to uh, the, the the next thing though that they did after they'd done that was they did what they'd done at the end of every single game, and I have to I have to stress this, including the Coventry United game at the end of last season. They basically got their balloon punctured and relegated in the ninety seventh minute with a worldie of a free kick, and they kind of all fell to the floor and absolutely down and out. You, you sat there and thought, oh no, and they got up and they came across to what was the lower Graham Taylor for that particular game. They weren't putting things in the Sir Elton John that season, and they started signing autographs, having selfies, forcing the smile onto their face. They did exactly the same thing in defeat there as they did in triumph on Saturday. Mm. They came over and shared everything with the fans. All of the players just went into almost automatic mode. This is what we do at the conclusion of a game. We go and share this with everybody. And if you are one of those, if if you're one of those supporters who has moaned about the lack of community sense or the club not making a connection, here are the people who absolutely echo the words used by by Graham Taylor, which is, I'm not just here to build a team, I'm here to build a club, and they do that superbly. Well, I think that's something that people forget is, you know, if Graham Taylor was still alive today, there is absolutely no way that he would accept any suggestion that 
people shouldn't be interested in Watford women's team. You know, it, he would be brought into it. I, I would I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd have gone to a final like that, gone to a playoff. He would have been so behind it. So when people moan about, you know, the club doesn't remember the days of Graham Taylor and the ethos he had, well, here's a great chance to get behind something that he would have got behind. So, you know, let, let's not contradict ourselves. Yeah. If you want to, you know, live by the, the mantra that, that Graham was so, so strongly behind, show some support for the women's team. You don't have to go to games you don't even have to you know read every result but don't vilify people who do go and do enjoy it or, or question why they do it just be glad they do because this is a Watford team that deserves our support and one thing I took away from Saturday was Dre Giorgio who won player oh, match. I've not seen any Watford performance from an individual better than that this season. And that includes all, all the men's games. You know, that she, she was truly outstanding. You could call her as player of the match from an hour gone. She could have sat and done nothing for the last half hour. She'd done that much. To see someone who plays for Watford play that well on a big stage and be so outstanding and, and after the game to be so humble and so good with the fans, that's what Watford Football Club is about. There's a few who will be in our dressing room next season and plenty are in our dressing room last season for men's games who wouldn't go far wrong by watching how she handled herself before, during and after that game because that's what fans of Watford come to expect, that sort of performance on and off the pitch. Hi, this is Troy Hawke and this is the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. <laughs> at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But anyway, let's turn to the men's game, sir, because obviously the start of the season, you... <laughs> you're in there you are the you are the football correspondent pre-season building up everything how did it go for you in the Watford Observer was, was it everything that you expected to be in the hot seat yeah I suppose it was and and you know what you have to remember is that although I hadn't covered the club before I'd worked with Ollie for a good number of years so I knew pretty much how it worked things are different though back in the day when you know I worked at the Watford Observer there was only the Watford Observer there was no Sky Sports News the internet didn't exist there wasn't online you know it literally was the Watford Observer. So the one advantage you had back in those days was if something happened on a Monday, you didn't really need to worry about it until Thursday because, you know, it wasn't going to go anywhere. The immediacy of covering the club now was something that took a bit of getting used to because you've literally got to do it as it happens. That's when I sort of took the decision with with the papers back in to not get too much into rumours and gossip because I I just don't think the Watford Observer can compete with with other places that that run that sort of content. The Watford Observer, when Ollie was there, always was a paper of record fact so you know you went there to check things and if you'd seen something on teletext or you'd heard it on club call you went and checked it on the Watford Observer on a Friday the one thing we sort of set out was okay you know we, we just can't 
and compete with other outlets in terms of gossip and rumours because you know they've got access to agents and they've got access to players and you just can't compete with that. I set off with a slightly different agenda maybe to what the club thought and and, and that sort of helped me a little bit because I wasn't really into the sort of you know sort of tittle tattle and that sort of thing. That's not to say you know, I don't enjoy it. I mean, God, when I was a fan, you know, I used to I memorise the teletext pages that what you know Watford were on and I knew all the websites to go to recently. I knew the Twitter accounts. I mean, I, I love a bit of gossip and rumour, but I didn't set out to try and do that. So the club, you know, early on understood where the Watford Zill was coming from while I was there. And obviously we've got a new manager and, and Rob didn't know any different. He didn't know what the Watford Zill was. So quite quickly, we, you know, we got on quite well because he worked out I wasn't there to make life difficult. And if he spoke off the record, it stayed off the record. Uh-huh. And I knew that he would tell me stuff and some stuff would be for public consumption and some wouldn't. I was allowed in to watch the behind closed doors friendlies which was very useful you know you get to know the players quite quickly I had the chat that was a long chat that you, you saw over a number of weeks with Scott Duxbury yeah the first few months were tickety-boo really and, and until 10 games in and then you know then we sort of reverted to type but yeah the first few months I found really enjoyable and, and perhaps I'm a perhaps I'm a fool but I did buy into the we were going in a different direction and Rob was the way forward and so, then 10 games and it all changed so do you think that Scott believed that that's probably the more important question Question. Do you think that Scott believed he was going to be back to come hell or high water? Yeah, and I'm sure people are criticising me for saying this. That's where I have a lot of sympathy with Scott because I don't. I mean, Scott Scott's a, a very smart, intelligent bloke. You know, he's not he's not a fool who would come out and say something that he expects to you know crash and burn a matter of weeks later. You know, he when he said those things, he believed that to be the case. Yeah, and you could argue in the first 10 games that there wasn't enough on the pitch to suggest that we were making the progress that we might have wanted. Where I would differ is that I didn't see not... How can I say that? It wasn't not enough to say, well, now's the time to make a change. Those first 10 games weren't great, but, they, you know, to me, they weren't sacking material. They were, you know, we, it might be, you know, you call the manager in and you say, look, this isn't working out as well as we wanted. What are you going to do about it? Other than the Blackburn game, which was absolute awful. You know, I don't really remember. I mean, every manager or the three managers we had this season have all had awful games. Those first 10, they weren't, they weren't brilliant. But, you know, when you look back on it, we beat Burnley, we beat Sheffield United, you know, not many teams did that we only lost twice if I remember rightly Burnley at one stage were below us in the table and yet persevered with what's his Vincent name company. Yeah. 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 Company. Yeah. I mean ironically Middlesbrough did make a change shut up the table and then we ended up with Chris Wilder but we didn't know then that was going to happen but yeah I'd I, I, I genuinely believe I've no reason to think that Scott said those things but had it in the back of his mind that come October he would be changing what he said so I, I, I had a good degree of sympathy with him I mean I Obviously, when you make the change, as they did, he's going to not toe the line, but he's going to support the change. So when the decision was made to move Rob on, there was no way Scott was going to come out and go, well, you know, nothing to do with me. You just can't do that. As an organisation, the people at the top have to be aligned. I'm, I'm pretty certain behind the scenes, there was some conversation about whether it was the right thing to do. But, you know, as fans will know, and this predates me, that generally speaking, you know, what the owner thinks is the right thing to do is what we end up doing. Nothing said to me that Scott was making it up. You know, I sat with him for a good couple of hours the first time and the second time almost as long and you know I'd like to think I can spot certainly a fool but also a liar and and there was nothing in what he said to make me think yeah you know this isn't going to happen Rob was fully bought into it everybody was so no I, I didn't I didn't see see it coming but 
I will always I'll always think that you know things might have been different had Rob stayed, but I'll also accept that the first ten games weren't great. The, the reason why he lost his job effectively was you know that after ten games we were mid table. Uh, ironically, that's where we finished up. Um, but they they weren't the worst ten games in the world. You know, they, it, it wasn't sort of like the Colin Lee season or the Bassett season where. You know, very early on, you're thinking this is only going to go one way. To be fair to Rob, he's gone somewhere else, picked up the pieces that someone's yeah. left behind and, and done all right with them. You know, it, we'll never know. We'll never know what he would have done had he stayed. I will always personally think we didn't give him enough time to to really prove his worth, particularly as in that gen, in that August transfer window, we didn't exactly give him what he wanted, you know, what he needed. You know, you've got a coach that likes wing-backs. So we send a very quick wing-back over to Spain and replace him with a very traditional and much slower fullback, you know, which is, you know, if it had been the other way around, you'd have thought, well, that's a great transfer. It's almost like we did it in reverse, you know. And, you know, we, we got a left-footed centre-back in at the last minute who turned out to be, you know, a basket case in terms of injuries. And, you know, the two strikers we signed, apart from Davis on loan, the other two strikers really weren't what he wanted. And and yet, notwithstanding all that, we only lost two of the first 10 games. All right, we only won three of them. I just wonder what would happen if he'd have been given time. But then it's easy to say that, you know, if, we, if we'd have given him another 10 games and we'd have slipped down into the bottom third, people would have been burning effigies of him so it's it's a tricky one but my own personal opinion is no Scott didn't think there was going to be a change yes he did buy into it personally I thought you know we should have given him a bit longer do you think the success that Rob has gone on to achieve at our most fierce rivals hasn't been unnoticed by Scott and Gino or do you think they're just sort of well um, he's gone when so. you say I'm noticed like they're sitting there thinking God we should have kept him because I don't think I don't I, I, I no. don't think for one minute do you think they, they, they realise the, the sort of pain in supporters that that may have in the fact that our most bitter rivals are now knocking on the door of the Premier League they're 90 minutes away as we speak I couldn't guess at what the owner does because mm-hmm. other than seeing him in a corridor and nodding at him twice I've nothing much to go on the fact that he's, he's not a communicator you know he's, he's so distant from the fans and seems out of step with everything else would sort of suggest to me that probably wouldn't recognize it wouldn't right. care too much right. wouldn't be bothered by it you know and even if he did he would never let on right. i think scott will probably look at it and think you know yeah okay he's doing really well could we have kept him a bit longer again you know scott scott has to work with the owner and so you know he's he, he's never publicly going to say god didn't we drop a clanger there we should have kept him mm. um i'm sure he feels the pain scott will feel the pain of of luton doing well if they go up even if they go up and finish bottom with a record points tally and concede 150 goals, they'll still be a club that's set up for the next five years because they'll get the Premier League money and the parachute payments. From knowing him, he, he will look at that and think, yeah, you know, that's that's not going to go down well with the fans. And it'll certainly understand the painful irony of the bloke that we got rid of, you know, steering our arch rivals to Wembley and possibly to the Premier League. But as for the owner, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I make an informed guess and that would be that unless, unless it makes money for him or loses money for him, then I shouldn't think he's particularly got any care about who wins the playoffs or okay. who goes up or who doesn't. Obviously, Slaven comes in, but before that, did you have any inkling before before Rob was jettisoned that anything was in, in the build-up for that? Because obviously we had the Sunderland game where, again, yeah, okay, we, we, we did concede late on. Before that was the Blackburn game, which was a, 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 a lamentable performance, um, uh, uh, of course. I think we had Rotherham one all, not the greatest performance up there, etc., but a world of a goal from Bio. And before that, Obviously, everybody was cock a hoot at the Vic for the 100 year anniversary and, you know, kind of basically winning 2 1 
and, and Chris Wilder being on the wrong end of a result at Vicarage Road, not for the last time that season. <laughs> did, did you have any did you have any indication over that four game period that you thought there might be a jettisony, or did it come as a surprise to you as it did to us? Uh, I started to get vibes and and words coming out that after the Blackburn game things weren't what they could be in terms of that particular performance was was really badly received and that you know there'd, there'd been some discussions not about changing the manager but with the manager about look what's going wrong and you know why why aren't we doing as well as we thought we would do knowing Rob I, I would certainly would say well if you'd have signed a couple of wing backs and a striker like I asked then we might have made a better start of it He's not a fool. He wouldn't sit back and go, yeah, it's totally my fault, guys. Yeah, He, he would have pointed to that. And there was definitely a, a negative vibe after the Blackburn game. What what surprised me was, I I, I, I think I remember saying to someone at the time, you know, if we lose to Sunderland on Saturday, I'd, I'd, I'd really fear for his job. When we didn't lose, and, and we'd led 2-1, yeah. I thought, well, you know, they'll probably see him through now and give him a few more games. But then that was on the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, I started to get word that meetings were happening. And then then I was told that Gioretta had gone, cleared his desk, he was gone. So you think, okay, right, they've made a decision here. You know, perhaps it came down to a, it's him or me. And they decided that they'd keep Rob and Gioretta would go on. Then the next thing was I'd heard, well, Gioretta had come back. And I thought, well, if Gioretta's come back, there's only one way this can go. Because Gioretta being jettisoned would have to have been something that Rob would have been happy with. So so to have Gioretta come back, you know, would, would sort of suggest that Rob wouldn't be happy. And, and in the space of a few days, we'd gone from, I think Rob's under threat to, I think Gioretta's gone to Gioretta's back to, I think Rob's under threat. So it didn't come as a huge surprise, but the way it happened was, was really strange because, you know, we had that period where, you know, Gioretta was gone uh, and Rob seemed to be sort of the vibes where he, he, you know, he'd been given more power and more authority. And then... Gioretta came back and I should imagine the day Rob drove in the training ground and saw Gioretta's car his stomach must have sunk then because it was pretty obvious where things were heading so I, I remember being told that it was a, it was about to happen the way Watford work is they've always got another manager lined up they don't generally wait too long during the season so you know in the in the maelstrom of Rob possibly going then I started to get word of Billich being the one who was coming in and then the Billich story got even stronger and, and then you start to realise well the reason the Billich story is strong is because yeah Rob is about to go and I seem to remember Rob went and a few hours later they announced Billich had taken over so I was going to say it's a strange international week but we tend to do that in international weeks don't we? We tend oh, yeah. to like to have a bit of turmoil and, and change some key members of staff so <laughs> it was a shame because I, I, I got on with all three managers I'd like to have spent more time with Rob it wasn't to be but you know, it was it, one one thing you learn in in this job is the importance of building a relationship. And when I saw Rob at the Luton game, even though you know he knew that I, I really didn't even want to shake his hand because of what just happened, we did, and we had a quick chat, and we said that once our seasons are finished, we'll catch up and have a proper chat. And no bridges burnt there. I had a couple of messages with him immediately after he'd lost his job. And, you know, he just sort of shared his disappointment and, and passed on one or two bits of information that were quite interesting. You know, he never sort of came on and wanted to slag them off and he was never interested in doing anything negative. He just wanted to crack on and, and get his next job. And when people said, you know, they're really surprised that he went to Luton, you have to remember that for someone like Rob, or for any football manager, that's their job. You know, if we lose our jobs, you know, if, if I was suddenly booted out of the Watt Preserver and the only job that came up was PR manager at Luton Airport, you could be damn right I'm going to take it because I've got to pay a mortgage mm. and I've got dependents, you know. So if Rob needed that job, he had to take it. You can't say, well, I really can't do that because my last job was with your arch rivals. Don't don't forget, we've, we've signed players from Luton. Alec Chamberlain did all right. I never understood why he was, he was sort of picked upon for taking the job. But that week, 
was a very interesting week. Little did I know then that I'd have another manager before the season's out. But yeah, <laughs> I think I think I think in terms of how people have seen Rob Edwards, you know, when we do the Twitter Spaces and the phoning, people still refer to him as Rob. I mean, this is this is the manager of our arch rivals, and people still call him by his first name. I have to stop myself doing that because I I feel he should be you know a white cat stroking Bond villain being in the place that he is. But people have actually I think got an awful lot of respect, a lot of time for him when the announcement came out that Rob had been released we we, we strung up a, a quick phone in a twitter spaces um in the afternoon which justin conducted entirely in uh, in bmq car park that's where i was nice yeah. AM, obviously <laughs> yeah the general the general theory was one of absolutely uh, absolute amazement and, and astonishment that what had been so well articulated through through you know mainly through yourself as well as as well as through the, the pr stuff that then would follow from the club talking about how this was going to be a cultural architect in place somebody who was going to build the club and the confidence and the level and it was more than just a manager that it was just it just seemed so profound and as you say 15 or so minutes in we started to get news that slab and billich was was kind of homing into view as you say never one to let the grass grow under their feet the pot so family but if i remember right and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure you've got it committed to memory. When Slavin Bilic was appointed, as I recall it, the wording of the announcement was quoted to Gino Pozzo rather than to Scott Duxbury, which it had been previously. And it felt to us on the on the very much on the outside looking in that there may have been a, a disagreement in terms of how well was was Rob supported. We talk about the right wing back position because it's the most obvious one, but also some some other strange purchases uh, and some other strange absences purchases being made did, did it feel to you like this was this was more of a Gino appointment and what were your early impressions of uh, of, of Slaven once he did come in through the door I think we have to accept that any appointment at Watford will ultimately be a Gino appointment I can't think we've ever appointed someone in any position anywhere certainly at senior level that Gino hasn't wanted you know I can't think he'd go well yeah all right you can have the call on this one we're not talking about someone who you know manages by committee I think the fact that he was quoted did have some relevance because I, I, I would, well, I, I sort of know that, you know, the, the initial, I think it's, you know, it's not working out, we need to change manager, came came from his office. Yeah, I think the fact that he he was quoted on that one is quite relevant in, in the same way that, you know, in the last couple of announcements that have come out of the club, Ben Mang has been quoted. You know, you tend to mm. put the words to the people who are in charge or making the decision. Yeah, I think I think that was quite relevant. As as for Slavin, I mean, I, I, I didn't know him. Um, when I first met him, he had this sort of um, an, an agent that, that hung around, which I never really like having, you know, managers who've got agents that come to press conferences because it just feels a bit sort of overbearing and, and an unnecessary level of control. After the first one, never saw him again. And and quite early on, you know, Slav made it quite clear that he was, you know, if you wanted to talk to him, he talked to you. And, and you know, we got talking off the record quite early. And again, as, as I say, it's about building relationships. You know, you just have yeah. to sort of put it out there and say, look, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I used the phrase, I'm going to be a critical friend. You know, when you do well, I'm going to be saying how well you've done. But if you do badly, I'm not going to be afraid to say so. I'm not going to kick you for the sake of kicking you, but I'm not going to lord you when you don't deserve it. And I think also what earned me a lot of respect was, and he said this to me, I 
forget where we'd been quite early on, Slav. And he said, you know, you're everywhere, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I go to every game. I think, actually, I think it was an under-21 game. And he came up to me, do you watch the under-21s as well? I said, yeah, I do when I can fit it in. And he said, you're everywhere, aren't you? And he, he referred to that when he left. You know, he said, I didn't mind you asking me tricky questions. And I didn't mind you being critical because you saw everything that I saw. And you saw some things I didn't see at under-21 games. So I can understand why you'd ask questions. So, yeah, I think building a relationship, that's, that's where it comes from. You know, if you can get that understanding that, you know, I'm not just going to tell you you're brilliant because that's what you want me to do. But similarly, I'm not going to put the boot in just to be popular with the fans. You know, he had a good start. He won his first game. Um, probably one of the best we had in Bar Luton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so you know there, that, yeah. Great that, that, that makes it a bit easy. You know, if he'd come in and lost his first game four nil, a bit you know, a bit like not in the same scoreline, but in the way that you know Chris lost his first game, you know, it might have been difficult. But he got on to a winning start, and I found him you know extremely affable. You you don't really come; it doesn't really come across in press conferences how funny he is. You know, he's extremely dry. Just before the Luton game, we were talking in the press conference about you know what's it like coming up against a former Watford manager, and he said, "Well, he hasn't managed Watford," and he said it it's completely <laughs> deadpan. And there was his pause. And then he started laughing. You know, oh, that's a joke. Yeah. But you got to realise that that's how he was. You know, he said things. He was a bit, he was like Viali in that respect. Viali used to do that. He said something what you thought was meant to be a joke, but you were never quite sure. So you didn't laugh. But then after a while, you realised you knew when he was laughing or meant to be laughing. So, yeah, I, I got on with him very well, very quickly. As I say, just turning up a couple of under-21 games, I don't know, earned me my spurs, really. And I, I remember the second under-21 game I saw him at. Yeah, I think it was a game when, I think we played Wesley Hoyt and somebody else. There was a couple of first-team players playing the first half and he wanted to watch them. He came over to me and said... Uh, are you going to be here for the whole game? I said, yeah, of course. We'll have a chat and a cup of tea in the second half. Half time, he came over with these two cups of tea and took me around the other side of the ground. And we just stood and chatted before we ran. It's like, good good job there weren't a lot of goals because I wouldn't have seen any of it because he was really in depth talking about football and everything else. I think that that's what helps is because I'm, I'm sort of mug enough to go along to all these games and I step all over the country. As a manager, you know, when you see the same face and we don't have a lot of travelling press, there aren't many of us who go. So, you know, when you go to an away game, it's usually three or two of us there. So that sort of helps. You know, he, he obviously came with a reputation and he, you know, he managed at the highest level, played the highest level, was a very, very humble person and, you know, never really talked about him unless you asked him about him. Otherwise, it was just all about the team. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.